Good morning, everyone. So good to see everybody today. Uh, you also probably just heard me say, good job, Judah. Sorry about that. <laughs> but good job, Judah, right? Let's give Judah a hand, the whole team. They're awesome. They work really hard every week. Well, my, my name is Bethany, and I'm, I'm just so um, honored and privileged to be able to, sh to speak with you guys for the next few minutes. Uh, Jake is my husband over there, so you know who I am in case you know who he is. We're the pastors here at Joy Church, and I'm so excited about this new series. How many of you guys kind of feel like Ryan? Man, I want someone in my life to help me, to lead me, but like when I want them to, right? Right? Now, you know, a lot of you guys, you probably heard the stereotype about men not wanting to get directions, right? Not wanting to get directions. Well, um, I, I don't care if you're a man or a woman, I wanna know in this room, raise your hand if you're the kind of person who will ask for directions. Raise your hand if you'll ask for directions. Raise your hand if you're the kind of person that you're like, I will drive my car into a lake. I will not ask for directions. Anybody? Oh, nice, nice. Well, you know, um, uh, quite, quite a few years ago, uh, we had a friend, their whole family, they were, they were um, from out of town. They didn't live in the town that we were living in at the time. And um, the, the town we were living in, it was in Medford. Jake was literally born in Medford, right? So this is his hometown. I had lived in this town since third grade. And by then I was at least in seventh grade. No, I'm totally kidding. Um, we were both adults and married. But so we both lived in this town for a long time, right? So we're familiar with it. We know this town. It's not a, a huge town. It's our town. We know it. We know how to get everywhere. We know how to drive everywhere. Well, we had this friend, this family. They were going to come and they were going to stay with us for like a week. And it, they were not from our town. And in fact, they were not from our state. And in fact, they were not from our country, right? They didn't even live in the United States. And so they come and um, they, had a, they had a family. And um, I don't know if we had a family yet, we had us, but they didn't fit in our car. So anywhere we went, they had rented a car. So they were in their car and we were in our car. And after a couple days, we started noticing that the husband was doing the most bizarre thing. Anytime we went anywhere, right? in our town that we know where everything is, we like, okay, we're gonna go to this park or we're gonna go to this restaurant, you know, whatever it is we were gonna do. We would, you know, everyone would get in their cars, load up. We would start going and you would assume this family was going to follow us, right? Instead, every single time the husband would somehow, in some way, get ahead of us, wouldn't look at us. You know those people when they won't look at you when they pass you, I love that. I always smile so big. My favorite thing to do when you pass someone you know, you know you're driving and you pass them, is you wait until right before they're gonna look at you and then you wave the other way, <laughs> right? So then they, I love that, it's my favorite. It's like a, that's like my dad joke, except I'm not a dad. But, but so no matter what, this whole entire week, he would always go around us, not even look at us, and then like get there first, not say anything, right? Not be like, in your face, like out here first, but he would just like, you know, walk into the place like nothing bizarre just happened right? And, and Jake wasn't saying anything. And I'm standing here like feeling like I'm in crazy town, right? Because I'm like, is anyone noticing that this is the most bizarre behavior I've ever seen? Like, why won't you just follow us to the location? There were a few times they got there extremely late after us, right? Because this person just refused to follow us. They would not follow us anywhere. And it was just so funny to me because I thought, not only do you not live here, you don't even live in this country. 
right? You don't even live in this country. Like I would be more apt to follow someone if I didn't even live in this country. Um, about seven years ago, we were in Romania and we had taken um, our daughter, Evie, she's our oldest. She was five months old. We were on this mission trip to Romania and we had this huge group of um, young adults with us on this mission trip. And we were at the pastor's house and all of our team was at the church. And it was probably about 10, 15 minutes away from each other. So we are not familiar with Oradia, Romania. We are not familiar with Romania. We are not familiar with Eastern Europe, right? All of these things, we're in, we, this is not our hometown. But for some reason, the people we were staying with, we kept saying, we need to get to the church to our team. And they were like, oh, just take our car. And Jake's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what, right, right? We've driven here and it's crazy, right? Compared to where we're from. No, there's no rhyme reason. You guys know your rhyme and reason, but we don't know it. And so Jake, he very bravely drove me and Evie. Evie didn't even have a car seat. So she was sitting on our lap in this hilarious rickety car. I think we sat on the left side, right? Or is that normal? Sat on the right side? And it was a stick shift. So it is like shift, you know, opposite of what we're used to. And there was these huge highways that had these massive roundabouts that no one slowed down for, right? You know, with like five or six lanes across them, we almost died, but we made it. Spoiler alert, we made it. But in that moment, we would have just liked someone to let us follow them, right? And so we're so excited for this series that we're we're embarking on together. It's all about following. And you know, here at Joy Church, our mission is to love God, love people, and to make disciples. And what we really wanna focus in on in the next few weeks is all about disciples, right? How to be a disciple and how to make disciples. Now, disciple is a really kind of funny word, right? It's a very Christianese word. I've been a Christian for um, a very long time, 30 whole years. I know you guys are like, I didn't think you were over 20 years old. I know, I know. But I've been a Christian for a long time. And I can tell you honestly, I've heard the word disciple my whole life, right? I've read it in the Bible so many times, but I probably couldn't have given you a great um, definition of what disciple was until probably maybe five years ago, right? Because it's just a Christian word that we hear. And if someone were to ask you, what's a disciple? We'd be like, well, there's 12 of them. One was kind of bad. But God fixed it. Another came, kinda, then another came. I don't know. Okay, right? Uh, but I'm a disciple, I guess, right? We don't, we don't really know. And so our goal, our mission for this series is to really let you guys be able to know what a disciple is, how you can start being a disciple, and how you can start making disciples, right? Does that sound like a, a great idea to you guys? Well, I have a quote here for you. What is a disciple? The standard definition of disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another. It is a follower or a learner. It refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. Applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Someone who, because of God's awakening grace, conforms his or her words and ways to the words and ways of Jesus. So basically, a disciple is someone who is trying to be like Jesus. It doesn't mean that there's someone who is exactly like Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. It doesn't mean that they don't make mistakes, but it's someone who is walking in their life, trying to walk, trying to act, trying to be like Jesus. 
you know, Jesus, he was the son of God, right? When he came to earth, God sent him to earth. He lived on earth for 33 years. And in that time, he did a lot of teaching. And the, one of the very last things he taught, he had a big crowd of followers. And the very last thing he said to his people, we call it the Great Commission. Now, if you were, had someone like, let's say, a father, a grandfather, you know, a grandma, whatever it is, if they said, if they were on their deathbed, right, and they said, bring, bring Bethany here. I have one last thing I want to tell Bethany. Wouldn't we remember it? We would, we would want to remember it. Obviously, if they said something that was totally off their rocker, we'd probably still remember it because it, it was the last thing they wanted you to know. And this really is the last command that Jesus gave to us while he was still on earth. And we can find that in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came near and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is the last thing that Jesus told his followers. Can you imagine? Okay, guys, all right, I'm leaving. Hey, go out and tell everyone every single thing I ever told you, right? That's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big command. But this is the command that Jesus gave to these followers. And this is the same exact command that Jesus gives to every single one of us today. If you are a follower of Jesus, then this is also your command. This is what we are being told to do, is that we are supposed to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all the things that Jesus taught. That's a big deal, right? But that's every single one of our jobs. Dan Spader, he said, in reality, Jesus gave this charge to every Christ follower. The commission is great because it has to do with the gospel. Even so, it is an everyday commission for every believer, for every moment of their everyday lives. This is something that every single one of us is supposed to be actively doing every single day. That we're supposed to actively be going out and telling people about Jesus. Now, does that mean that instead of going to work tomorrow, you need to go home and somehow, you know, commission a cross and then begin tomorrow morning, you know, carrying that through the streets of Eugene, right? And, and screaming about Jesus? Probably not. You know, maybe if you specifically feel that, right? But probably not. But what does, what is God saying here? He's saying he wants you in the everyday life that you normally live, whether it is that you go to work tomorrow, you go to school tomorrow, you take care of your kids tomorrow, you take care of your parents tomorrow, whatever it is that you do in your everyday life, you should be also leading people to Jesus. We have a saying at Joy Church. It's take the journey of following Jesus and take someone with you. And that in a nutshell is what discipleship really is. Is that you, as you are following after Jesus, as you are walk, trying to walk like him, trying to talk like him, trying to be like him, making mistakes, right? Not always getting it right, but doing your best to be like Jesus, just take someone along with you on that journey. And that is what being a disciple maker really is all about. 
Dan Spader said something else. He said, although the Great Commission is usually translated, go and make disciples, the verb for go is better translated going or as you go. In other words, the going Jesus is talking about is not a special event, such as a mission trip. Instead, we are to make disciples as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go out into our neighborhood. As you go, walk as Jesus walked. This truly is an everyday command. You are to live every day as you go, wherever you go. These are big, huge things that I'm saying, right? And so I'm not expecting that every single person in this room is gonna wake up tomorrow fully charged and energized to ready to completely change their life. Maybe normally at work, you're, you, people wouldn't even realize that you go to church on Sunday, right? Maybe that's how you've been living your life. So I'm not expecting that you're gonna wake up tomorrow completely like, oh, I'm a completely changed person and there's gonna be you know, light shining from heaven on you, right? But I am hoping that through this series, every single one of us will begin to see that, hey, I am supposed to be like Jesus every day. And what are the changes I can make today to be more like him? Who are the people in my life that I can love differently today, that I can treat differently today, that I can notice today in order to be more like Jesus, to be more like him? Jesus is telling us that if we live our life, that as we live our life, we should make disciples. Disciple making is not just for the professional Christians, right? It's not just for pastors. It's not just for the really good Christians. It's for all of us. The truth is there is no such thing as really good Christians, right? I've thought this so much. If only I was a good Christian, I could be more like that person right? If only I was a good Christian, I wouldn't lose my temper at my kids. But those of you guys that have been with my kids, you were like, no, even Jesus would have lost his temper. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know what he would have done. I would, I would like to have seen that part of the Bible where Jesus was a parent. How did you, how did you deal with that, right? But, but it, it doesn't, it, I used to always think that, right? If I was a better Christian, I would be better at this. But did you know there is no such thing as good Christian? We are all just on this journey doing our best. There are different callings, but just because God asked Jake and I to start a church and we were willing to obey to do that does not make us better. It does not make us gooder. You guys love that word, huh? Those grammar people in here, you guys are like, oh, I died a little. It does not make us better Christian all is it says is that that's what God asked us to do. What is God asking you to do? What is God asking you to do in your normal life? So many times I hear, especially younger, younger Christ, Christians, like in age younger, like teenagers, young adults. Well, I haven't heard God tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life yet. He, he has told all of us something and that's to love God, love people, and to make disciples. And I believe God has a specific call, a specific direction for every single one of us to go in if we're willing to listen and we're willing to obey. But until then, man, I can do a lot by loving God, by loving people, and by making disciples. Here at Joy Church, we define a disciple using four C's. Don't you love it? 
four C's. And we get this based on Matthew 4, 18 through 19. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about over the next few weeks. Is we're gonna be breaking down each of these C's for you guys. But in, in Matthew 4, 18 through 19, this is Jesus. This is like at the very beginning of his ministry. And this is when he calls out to some of his very first disciples. It says, and Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called P Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and they followed him. These two men who had been fishermen, fishing for actual fish as their career, their whole life, have this one encounter with Jesus and they leave everything and they begin to follow Jesus. And their whole life is different. Their whole life changes, right? And so what we say is that a disciple is someone who follows Christ. We see this because these guys, Jesus called out to them. He said, follow me. And they had to decide that they were gonna follow him, right? So a disciple is someone who follows Christ. A disciple is someone who's committed to community. There was a group of them. And so they had to be committed to be together in a group, in a community. Someone who is committed to be changed by Christ. It says that he, he said, I will make you fishers of men, meaning he was gonna change who they were, change how they saw life, change what they had done so far with their life. So you have to be committed to be changed by Christ. And the fourth one is committed to the call of Christ. Committed that whatever God calls you to do, that you are willing to obey, that you will obey that call. And today, you know, for the last half right now, I'm gonna to talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. What it means to follow Christ. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's a book, it's called Ruth. And it's all about this lady named Ruth. It's only four chapters long, but it's a beautiful story. And in the beginning of this story, there's a woman, her name is Naomi. And her and her family, they are Israelites. They live in Bethlehem. And there was a really bad famine in the land. It's her and her husband and her two sons. There's a bad famine in the land. And so they decide that they're gonna move to Moab. Now, this is something that God had told the Israelites not to do. He didn't want them to go move. He didn't want them to be around the Moabites. He didn't want them to, to be part of them because they didn't worship God. And they had a different lifestyle than what God wanted his people to have. But they decided, you know, they were desperate for food. And so they went and they moved to Moab. And in that time that they lived in Moab, the, the two sons, they find two Moabite women. They marry them. Each of them had their own wife. Let me make that clear, right? And these women, their names were Ruth and Orpah. Well, then in a matter of time, the husband of Naomi dies. And then the two sons of Naomi die, Right? So this is like life was bad, life got worse, life is the worst, right? And so she's stuck here in Moab, uh, not her people, not her family, not her God, not her culture, right? And she has two daughter-in-laws, which depending on your relationship with your in-laws, you can, you can say that, you know, put that together however you want. If you have a great relationship, you're gonna be like, this sounds great. If you have a terrible relationship, you're gonna be like, oh, it's hell, it's hell, right? But she's here, she's stuck, and she just decides, I'm going home. I'm going back to Bethlehem. I'm going back to my people. And so she says to her two daughter-in-law, she says, I'm going home. You guys don't, don't follow me. You know, you guys have been great, but there's nothing for you there. It's not your people. It's not your God. It's not your home. I don't have any more sons, you know, so just go marry a nice Moabite man. It's been great, but this is where we part ways, right? 
And in that moment, the two girls have completely different reactions. Both of them love their mother-in-law. Both of them love Naomi. It says that Orpah kisses her, tells her that she loves her, and then goes back to her own people, goes back to Moab. But it says that Ruth clung to Naomi. And I love that word that the Bible uses there, clung, right? And Ruth basically makes a vow to Naomi. She says, don't ask me to leave. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people are now my people. Your God is now my God. And she followed Ruth and they went back to Bethlehem together. And what I want to point out to you guys today is that this, I believe, is, a, is the same reaction, Ruth and Orpah, the way that they reacted to their mother-in-law is the same way that each of us react to Jesus. You see, it's, it's easy for us as Christians to say, I love Jesus. Of course I love Jesus, right? He saved my life. I love Jesus. I go to church on Sundays when I'm in town, right? Or when the weather isn't beautiful. You guys did good today because the weather is beautiful and you're here, right? I love Jesus. But when he says, I'm moving, are you gonna follow me? So many of us in that moment say, oh, Jesus, I love you. Kiss, going back to my life. I'm going back to my people. I'm going back to my world. Maybe I'll see you soon. But that's not what Ruth did, right? And that's really what the first step to being a disciple is all about, is that you realize, no, I, I don't just love Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. He's not, he hasn't only saved my life, but I also am gonna let him be Lord of my life. I'm also gonna follow him wherever he goes. Jesus, your people will be my people. Your God is my God. Where you go, I will go. That's the first step of being a, a disciple of Jesus, is being able to say, Jesus, whatever you say, I'm following you. There came a time when, when Jesus, he had a large crowd and he, 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 would, he had just done a kind of a hard, difficult teaching to this crowd. And a lot of the people in the crowd, they, they stopped following him. They decided that's too much. That's too hard. I'm not gonna follow Jesus anymore. And they left. And Jesus turns to his disciples, his 12 guys. And he says, are you guys gonna leave too? And one of them says, where would we go? Only you have the words of life. See, something was different about these disciples. They recognized really who Jesus was. They recognized this is not just a good teacher. This is not just a good man. This is the son of God. This is the only way that my life is gonna be changed. Orpah was a fan of Naomi, not a follower. To really live this Christian life, you have to become more than just a fan of Jesus. To really live this Christian life, you have to become more than just a fan of Jesus. You have to say, I will follow you. I will follow you. In 1 John 1, 1 through 4, this is John, one of Jesus' disciples. He said this, 
From the very first day we were there, taking it all in, we heard with our own ears, we saw with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life, meaning Jesus, appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober prose what, in that what we had witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it. We heard it. And now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. When you truly experience God, when you have a true encounter with God, when you feel His presence, when you know that He is there, in that moment, we're forever changed. We're like John here where he says, we heard it, we see it, we know it. I want you to know it. That's the first step of following Jesus, of recognizing who he is, recognizing his great worth and realizing nothing in my life compares to this. Nothing in my life compares to this relationship. Nothing in my life compares to this. When I was young and I was single, I was like a young adult. And I remember, I felt like God spoke to me and he said, Bethany, will you, you, you follow me anywhere? No matter where I lead you, will you follow me? Will you, is, it, is it me and you? And I remember thinking, yes, of course, anything you ask me. I would give away anything. That was easy because I didn't have anything, right? I got my bed my mom and dad gave me, some clothes that are worth nothing, a car that should already be in a, you know, scrap lot, right? It was easy to say, of course, Jesus, of course. I'll follow you. I'll give you everything. But I remember after Jake and I, we had been married a little while. And I remember one day I was praying and God said, all right, now you, you love Jake, right? You guys are married. This is your life. What if Jake died? Would you still love me? And I remember thinking, yeah, I'll still love you. It's me and you. And then I remember a few months after I had our last baby, Penny. So now we're a big family, a family of five. We've got a, you know, a few month old baby. We have a two year old, we have a four year old. And I remember I was standing in worship at church. I remember God asking me, Bethany, do you still love me? If I took away all of this life that you've built, would you still love me? Is it still me and you? And I had to think about it. She took away all of this, my love, my family. This is my life. Yeah, God, it's still me and you. I love you. Doesn't matter what happens to me in this life. I have met you. I have experienced you. I know you and I can't turn away no matter what happens. And that is what the first step of being a disciple is. It's saying, Jesus, whatever happens in my life, I am going to follow you. Whatever happens in this life, I am going to follow you. So I have three things as we close. How? How do I become a follower of Jesus? And whether you've been a Christian for one week or you've been a Christian for 30 years, you can follow these three things. The first one you got to believe. You have to believe. You have to respond in faith. 
repent, turn around, say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you came back from the dead. I believe in you. That's the first step. We have to believe in him. The second one is to trust. You gotta trust God. That's really what God was asking me those three times. Do you trust me with your life? The bigger your life gets, the more complicated it gets, the more roots you have to this earth, do you still trust me with your life? You know, those disciples, that was a big deal that they said, I'm, I'm gonna walk away from this career. I'm gonna walk away from this life. Ruth, that was a big deal that she said, I'm moving to a different place that I've never been. I'm leaving all of my family. I'm leaving everything I've always known. I'm leaving my culture because I trust you. And that's what God asks of every single one of us. And this is a hard step to say, God, I trust you. Maybe I don't hear from you every single day. Maybe I don't feel your presence every single day. Maybe sometimes I wonder if you're really real. Sometimes I wonder if you hear me when I pray. But God, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my career. I trust you with my money. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my pain in my past. I trust you. Go all in with Jesus. So many times we hold back. We don't go all in. We have to go all in with Jesus and trust him. And the third one is to respond. Respond, get in the game. Take a new step in trusting Jesus. Maybe that for you is to join a joy group. I'm telling you, we talk about joy group all the time. I know that you're thinking, my goodness, that's all they talk about here. Why? We believe in it. We believe it will help you. We believe it will change your life. If you build a community of family around you who know you and who can stand with you, can cheer you on when you're doing awesome and who can stand around you when you're having the worst day ever. If you get a community around you, it will change your relationship with Jesus. It will help you in your life. If you're already in a joy group, Go ask your joy group leader, can I be your assistant? I wanna take my next step in following Jesus. And someday I wanna have a joy group. So show me how you do it, right? Take your next step. Go invite a neighbor to church. Invite a coworker to church. Invite someone to start doing life with you. Pray for someone. Begin to read your Bible. But do something this week, respond in some way to say, I am going to start actively following Jesus. Amen? And maybe some of you guys in this room, you say, I, I'm not a Christian. I don't follow Jesus. I don't know him. Today, we want you to know him. We are like those disciples who wrote 1 John. We're like John. We're saying to know him is everything. If you could meet him, it would change your life. And today, we want to give you that opportunity. If you don't know Jesus, let me tell you something, Jesus will change your life. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you go outside and there's a Ferrari with a big bow on it, right? Waiting for you because you chose Jesus. It doesn't mean that your life, you know, immediately looks different. Your tomorrow will still probably look the same, but now you realize I have connected with the person who created me. I have connected with the person who knows me. 
And I've put my trust in him and it's given me something to live for. It has made my life have meaning. And today, if you're in this room and you say, I want my life to have meaning, I wanna invite you to give your life to Jesus. If everyone right now, if you would bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you're in this room and you say, I wanna follow Jesus, I wanna give my life to Jesus. Would you raise your hand right now? No one's looking around. You won't, no one's gonna see you. Thank you so much. Raise your hand right now. If you're saying, I'm, I'm gonna take that step, I'm gonna trust Jesus. Thank you. Right now we're gonna pray. It's not a magic prayer. It's not, you know, you have to say it a certain way for it to work. It's nothing like that. It's just basically a way for you to be able to say, God, I trust you, I believe in you, and I give you my life. And so if you raised your hand, please pray that prayer after me. Everyone in the room, we're all gonna pray it together so you don't feel singled out, but please pray that prayer with me and just pray it from your heart and tell God, I trust you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for living your life for me. Thank you for choosing me before I could ever choose you. I choose you today, Jesus. I put my trust in you. I give you my life. Will you help me live it? God, I pray that you will forgive me for the people in my life that I've hurt. God, I give you my life. I put my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.